Good morning, Boker Tov. Looking out, it's like we're giving sheer, we're learning together in uh, New York. The truth is in New York, you wouldn't be wearing your winter coats and your Uggs because you'd be indoors where there's heat. Only here in Florida. Par Hashem. Sometimes Hashem mixes things up so that we can appreciate the small things like walking outside without a coat. It's a big bracha. Okay, I want to thank our sponsors for our Living with Amuna series for the year. Doctors Avi and Bella Morgan, we're so grateful for their generosity, who've sponsored the Zecher Nishmas, our dear and beloved and sorely missed friend, Rabbi Dr. Brian Gabbett, Baruch Tzvi Ben Ruvay Nassan, whose neshama should continue to have a great aliyah. We are finishing up this piece in Ravobiz Be'emunaso Yechia. As I mentioned every week, we actually saw those learning the daf, probably not a lot of people in here, but uh, yesterday's daf had that the... Um, the righteous, even when they die, are still among the living because their lessons, their values, their ideals we draw from. And the wicked, even while they're alive, are considered to be dead because they make no real contribution. They have nothing to offer. They make the world a darker place instead of illuminating and making it lighter. So, to live through emuna. emuna. Emuna illuminates our path. Emuna gives us life. And to a degree, Emuna gives us immortality, that we're able to live forever, not just in the here and now, not just in this world, but when we live with and when we transmit to the future generations a sense of a moral compass, an amuna compass of who we are and where we come from and where we're going, then we achieve a level of immortality. So we are on this uh, piece called Yira Ve'amuna. We've been discussing the relationship between having an awe and fear of Hashem and faith and belief in Him. First you see, and then you recoil with a sense of awe, and then you trust with a sense of emuna. It's not that if I live with emuna, I'll see Hashem everywhere. It's that if I choose to see Hashem everywhere, then I'm going to live with emuna, because if I see Him everywhere, He's always with me. I have nothing to be anxious or worried or envious about. I have nothing to fear, because He's always with me and by my side. So let's start again at the bottom of page, Kuf Samach Vav, and turn over the page and continue from there. Hashem gives us a general principle how to attach ourselves to Him. He commanded us. He said, be holy. Some seats up here. Ladies, come right near the coffee. You could stay warm. Stay warm and stay awake. Two important things. So, remember last week we discussed that as Jews, we live not for happiness. We live for... Oh, boy. We live not, thank you. We don't live for happiness, we live for holiness. Our mission, our mandate, our life, our values, our goals. We measure every day by the end of that day, not how happy we were, how holy we were. And again, holy is a Christian word, not a Jewish word. How holy means how much did we take the physical world in which we live, and did we elevate, did we transform it, did we enrich it? In other words, we had to eat, but was our eating gluttonous? Did we dive straight in? Was it all you could eat? Did we stuff our face? Was it undiscerning? Or did we eat in a way which nourishes not only our body but our soul by eating kosher and by making a bracha before and after and by eating in a healthy way and stopping when we're full? We engage in conversation and relationships. So do we, do we uh, transact and gossip? Or are we careful that we build people up and we are scrupulous with our language not to use profanity? We operate in this physical world. So at the end of the day, we measure whether it was holiness or happiness by how much we use the physical world to advance our soul. 
Do we nourish just our body or also our soul? I think I mentioned last week that the conversation, the question, although apparently it doesn't matter what I said last week, because I could say it every week, but when you see someone, you don't just say, how are you doing? And you don't just say, what's the good news? You say, how is your neshama? How's your soul? How's your soul? Everybody is about their, you know, their body. My hip and my knee and my back and my sugar level and my this, and I'm tired and I'm hungry and I'm cold. That's nice. How's your neshama doing? When's the last time you nourished your soul? Is your soul on fire or is your soul ice cold? Is it wide awake or is your soul fast asleep? Is your soul connected with the one above and with those around you? Or is your soul hibernating like an iguana about to fall out of a tree? What is, how is your soul? How is your soul? I wish I was joking. You've got to be careful when you're walking out there today. Because if we want to attach ourselves to Hashem, if we want to feel His presence in our life, then He's holy. He's the source of holiness. And we're defining holiness here as discipline, self-control, self-regulation, integrity, dignity. And if we want to attach ourselves to Him and feel close to Him, then we have to be like Him. You can't be near Him or connected with Him if we're not like Him. And that's why we strive for holiness, not just for happiness. Because God says He is purely spiritual, and we operate and we are limited, and we are defined also by our physical characteristics in the physical world. The more we are able to transcend and lift ourselves above only being defined by our body, the more we can connect with Him. And what is the means or mechanism through which we attach ourselves to him? Mitzvos. Tzivui means chibur. Kodesh Baruch made a command because he really wants to feel connected. You remember the Rebbe who told the Chassid, bring me back the fancy cigars from Paris. Not because he wanted the cigars. He wanted the Chassid to remember he has a Rebbe when he's on the business trip. So the mitzvahs throughout our day are not just because the mitzvahs themselves enrich our lives, because the mitzvah is the blueprint for how to live a most meaningful, purposeful, holy, and happy life. But there are also ways that Hashem says, remember me throughout the day. Every time you come out of the bathroom, remember me? It all went well? Everything worked? You're able to eat, digest, eliminate, and function in a healthy way? Don't take that for granted. You have no idea how many people can't. And when you walk out of the bathroom, remember me? You're about to take a sip of that coffee? Remember me. You're about to do a business deal and there halacha, legal ethics that, that inform it, remember me. Oh, the sun's starting to set, mincha, remember me. Oh, it's time for lighting the candles or blowing the shofar or hearing the Megillah, remember me. Our lives, the mitzvahs are defined by Hashem saying, I want a relationship, it's a bid for connection. Interrupt the day because by operating in this physical world, it is drawing us down here. It's drawing us down. Every time you see in Chumash, in the Torah, the word Aretz or Eretz used, it means earthly, material, physical. And there's nothing intrinsically wrong with that. God not only created it, He put us in it. So it's not that there's something intrinsically wrong. In other faiths, the material and the physical are intrinsically evil. And the more one is ascetic and rises above it, the more you attain holiness. We don't believe that. We believe our mission is to take that, that animal soul, the nefesh bahami that's in us, and to have it be obedient to the godly soul. So that eating and relationships and money and material possessions and intimacy, they're all beautiful and wonderful and pleasurable. And a Kodesh Baruch Hu says, I created them for you, enjoy them. But the ultimate way to enjoy them is not only to enjoy the physical part of them, 
but to find the spirituality within them. So you make a bracha before you eat, you didn't just have something that tasted delicious, but you imbibed something spiritual that was delicious for your soul. And in relationships, all the laws of modesty that guide intimacy with the right person, in the right place, at the right time, in the right way, with the right feelings, all that means enjoy the physical component of that. There's no merit, there's no righteousness to depriving ourselves of the pleasure of that. Enjoy it. Have the pleasure. The pleasure is a mitzvah, in fact. It is righteous in its own right. But by doing it in the prescribed way, time, person, place, so on, you've now not only had the physical pleasure part, which is fleeting and temporary and only leaves one wanting more, but you've had the spiritual component of feeling connected with another, of souls uniting to become one, of feeling connected to something bigger than yourself, all the spiritual. That is our prescription for life, not just the physical. The arts is drawing us down, but we're trying to stretch for the shamayim. That's why the animal walks on all fours, because it's just looking at the earth, because that's all it cares about. It's next meal, it's next moment, it's next pleasure. The human walks on two legs and reaches and strives to get up to the heavens, because we, we're, we're reaching for the heavens. Our feet are firmly planted here on earth, but we're reaching and striving for a heavens type of life, for a shamayim type of existence. Yes? That's a great question. So, in other words, we have formal tefillah with liturgy and text, and it's wonderful, but it's there to give us the words when we're struggling to find them. And it's there because we have to say them. And if we rely only on our own internal inspiration, we may come to never talk to God. But the most, I say this all the time, the most authentic form of tefillah is not what appears in the Siddur, not even what appears in Tehillim. It's what is written on the walls of your heart. It's what you creatively, personally, intimately talk to Kashbarhu. That was the shir that we gave last Shabbos afternoon. At some point we'll give it in the context where we could record it. But the whole source of Hispodidus and how to do Hispodidus, to which I'm a novice. I'm at the beginner level. I'm 101. So I'm not sharing it because I'm an expert. I'm sharing it because I'm taking you on my journey to try to learn it. But the idea of Hispodidus, of disconnecting from the world, of being utterly alone, not lonely, but alone, alone in the best sense of being alone, in order to discover ourselves and have a personal breakthrough, but also in order to talk to Hashem. Like you're talking, not like you're talking, you are talking to your best friend, your closest confidant, who knows you, panim el panim, pnim el pnim. He knows everything inside you, everything going on. So, you know, you go to a therapist and you feel comfortable in that setting because the things that you don't disclose anywhere else to anyone else because you're so worried they'll judge you and the shame and everywhere else, that's your place that you can go because Baruch is our collective therapist. All of us can go to him because, I'll tell you what, with the therapist, you're talking about telling them things that they otherwise don't know. And hopefully they've sworn the Hippocratic Oath or whatever oath they take to not violate your trust, your confidant, they're not going to tell anybody. But you know what, unless you tell them, they don't know it. But here's the thing with Hashem. Whether you tell him or not, he knows it. So you can't keep secrets. He knows everything in your head, in your heart, and on your browser history. He knows everything in your text message and your WhatsApp. He knows everything about your bank account, your business dealings. He knows it all. He knows it all. There's nothing you can hide from him. So when you talk to him about it, you say, Hashem, as you know, if you were reviewing uh, my bank books, you saw that I cut some coins. If you were reviewing my tax returns, Akash Baruch with the great accountant upstairs, you saw that I struggled this year and I failed. I, I cut some corners. You know, I got a call yesterday. It's an unbelievable phone call. It's an unbelievable phone call. I don't know who the person is. They don't live here. But they're trying to track down. They have for many years. There is a store. It was a chain of stores that existed in the 80s. 
that went, that no longer that, that closed down. And the person said, back in the eighties, they once got too much change, and it's stealing to keep the change. And they've been trying to return it. And finally, they tracked down that the owner of the store who passed away, the son lives in Boca. Do I know this son? Wow. Can you imagine the eighties? It's unbelievable. Right, so why is it now he had this... I don't know. I don't know. But who does that? It's unbelievable. You talk about a moral compass. So you could say, Kesh Baruch you know that I walked out with too much change, and all right, forgive me, hope they forgive me. But his supposedness is talking to Hashem. So the most authentic type of tefillah is not what you read from the sitter, it's what you recite from your heart. And I've likened it before to a greeting card. You give a birthday card to your spouse, an anniversary card to your spouse. You give a Mother's Day, Father's Day card to your parent. So if you just hand the card with the text that Hallmark or American Greetings wrote, so they say, it's nice that you stopped, you got the card, but you couldn't write anything. You couldn't underline any of the words, double underline any of the words. We all know those moves, right? Easier than coming up with our own composition. So but you couldn't write anything personal. You just handed me a card. On the other hand, you take the back of a napkin and you write, Dear Mom, you're the greatest mom that ever lived and I'd be nothing without you and I can't tell you how much I love you and there are no words to describe my love to you. And you hand the napkin. Your mother says, The sentiment is so meaning. Thank you so much. You couldn't get a card? Three dollars? I don't know what they call it. Hallmark, American Greetings, CVS. You couldn't stop. You couldn't get a card. Once upon a time they talked that. Now you got to take a mortgage to get a greeting card. But you couldn't stop and get a card. So we all know that you have to find the blend of the two. Here are the words American Greetings decided I had to give you in the form of a nice card. But I wrote something personal too. And it's the combination of the two that are the most meaningful. The Kodesh Baruch Hu says, listen, all you do is ever talk to me from your heart, in your car and in your kitchen and at the gym and on the way to work. You can't ever open a sitter. Open a sitter. Anshay Knesset Sagadola composed words which have timelessness to them. They tapped into exactly the composition, the formula. You know, if the, if the lawyer said, you're going to appear before the judge, I want you to memorize this script because I know the judge. For many, many years I've worked with him and I've been close with him and my grandfather's close with him and my father's close with him and I've been in the back in his chair. We have barbecue every July 4th. And just read the script. I'm telling you, these are the right script. If you want the judge to look favorably on you, read the script. And you say, ah, nah, I'm going to wing it. Anshay Knesagadola wrote us the script and they know the judge. We appear before him three times a day. Open the sitter. David HaMelech wrote the words. Was there anyone closer to David HaMelech, the Rebbe that level of connection, of love, of closeness? And he says, I wrote the words for you. I know what you're feeling. Your highest highs and your lowest lows and the entire range of human emotion. I wrote you the script. Open it up. I wrote you the script. And you can know there's many, many chapters. And they reflect different feelings in different moments of time. Familiarize yourself with them. Here's the script. So on the one hand, we have the script. But we got to put in our own words. So there's a long answer to your short question is, yeah, you're about to do work. Help this flow, help this go well. When I sit and write a drasha and it's not flowing and Friday the clock is ticking, I, I leave the keyboard, I close the safer, and I have a little conversation with Hashem. It goes something like this. Hashem, I'm not doing this for me, I'm doing it for you. I'm trying to get your message across. If you want this to be a big strikeout, then fine, the people will go home and they won't have learned anything. But if you want to be my partner and let's help, let's help knock the socks off them, help me find the right story, the right vort, the right application, the right whatever. And uh, so you could do that for every line of work. I was once in Starbucks working and I saw two women sitting at a table and I saw that and I eavesdropped because <laughs> you can. 
they were in Starbucks. It wasn't like I, you know, broke into their home, was listening in. And, um, and they were working on something together. I have no idea what it was. And they hit a, they hit a wall and they literally stopped and they, they took each other's hand. They said, let's pray on it for a moment. Let's pray that we can have the breakthrough and figure this out, whatever we're working on. Pray for this wisdom. And I looked at them and I said, what a bunch of weirdos. But the truth is, I said, they're only weird. We think they're weird. That's exactly who we're supposed to be. It's the non-Jewish Starbucks who should see two observant Jews sitting, working on something, who take, I don't know if you hold each other's hand, whatever, but <laughs> you say, you know what? We're stuck. Hashem, help us, help us come to the right conclusion. Help us have a breakthrough here. Help it work out. They have no shame. They're not embarrassed. They're not hesitant to invoke God and talk about God and show that they're praying for things. And we make the bracha. We put our hand over our mouth. We hold our cell phone so it looks like we're talking on the phone. Saying a bracha on the, on the lousy cup of coffee. Chalila, anyone should see us in Starbucks that we look religious, that we're making the bracha, that we talk to God, that he's involved in our life. We're hiding under the table to say the bracha. We don't anyone to see. Came up with all these you know, ways out. And there you are, God, you're screaming from the middle of a Starbucks. God, you know, everyone give me an amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> so the answer is you could open it to Hillam and say, David Amalek gave us the words, or just turn from your heart. You could have, Rab Nachman said, you could have Hispodidus in a crowded room. You could be in a crowded Starbucks, but have Hispodidus. You could close your eyes, and you could be screaming at the top of your lungs with your mouth closed. That's what Rab Nachman writes. If you're talking to Hashem from your heart, you could be having a conversation. Somebody walks by that you look like you're just thinking. But really, in your, in your mind, you're screaming out to Hashem. Screaming out to Him. So whatever the case is, in whatever, in whatever venue, you could have a conversation with Hashem. And yeah, so all these bids for connection throughout the day, the mitzvah, coming back to Revolba, the idea of the mitzvah is He says, hey, don't forget about me. The little check-ins. Marriages, I think, today more than ever need the little check-ins throughout the day. And we have the ability, a text message, hey, what are you up to? How's your day going? Not everyone in work and so on can interrupt and have long conversations, but that little check-in, you know what that little check-in says? You're going to work, and you know there are people walking around in all kinds of states of dress and undress and flirting environment and inviting you out, and there's temptation greeting you at every turn. Hey, how's your day going? Just want to remind you you're married. <laughs> I think it's more important than ever. There was a therapist who was telling me this, that they recommend this to all their married clients that more than ever, once upon a time, you gave a kiss in the morning, goodbye, have a great day at work, honey. You came home, how was your day? And in between, you were at work and I was at work or we were each doing our thing, that's fine. But in today's day and age, in a world of temptation and opportunity and what exists, the more check-ins, the more bids for connection, the more reminders, just wanna let you remember I'm here. Just a little reminder you're in a relationship. Just a little reminder you're never really alone. And that's the same with the Kaddish Baruch Hu, throughout our day. I know you're tempted to forget I'm here. You really want to eat that thing or say that thing or go to that place or do that thing. Hashem says, hey, just a little reminder. I'm here. I'm watching. We're in a relationship. Be faithful to me. Be faithful to it. Just a little reminder. That's what mitzvahs are. Just little reminders. Okay. Short introduction. Brings us up to what we're up to. Mavad. Third paragraph on page Kof Samach Zayin. In addition to the merit and the purpose of a mitzvah on its own, one should approach them in the path of emunah. The Ramban brings an example. That's a quote from the Ramban. It's a mouthful, but let me tell you what he just said. 
The Ramban just said the most brilliant, amazing thing. We become so used to things that we forget. Who here has a mezuzah on their door? I hope every hand goes up. We're observant Jews, non-observant Jews. Some non-Jews have mezuzahs. They think it's a good school. Why do we have a mezuzah on the door? We barely notice our mezuzah. It's just sitting there. Maybe we bought that new house, so we put up the house, we did the house, and we got the kindalach and the family, everyone come around, we're going to take a picture, we're going to hang the mezuzah, we'll ask the rabbi or the visiting Talmud Chacham, and everyone come stand, we're going to take a picture, we're going to hang the mezuzah, and the mezuzah, and the mezuzah, and what case should it be for the front door? In this case, and now the old iron dome, and the thing, and the silver, and now in Florida, it's got to withstand the heat, which is the case, and we're so excited about the mezuzah. And then what happens? We never think about the mezuzah again. We walk right through that front door, and even if we touch the mezuzah, and even if we kiss the mezuzah, we're doing it out of habit and rote, and we don't ever think about the mezuzah again. Says the Ramban, do you know why that mezuzah's there? Because every time you walk into your house, and every time you leave your house, you remember the messages that are contained therein. As the Ramban says, when you purchase a mezuzah, you've purchased eternity. When you purchased a mezuzah, you purchased a daily reminder. You've purchased a mission statement. You've purchased a billboard. You are admitting that created the world. You are acknowledging providence that he's involved in your life, that everything that happens in that home is not coincidence or chance or random, but it's by design and it's from above. You believe in all the corners, all the foundations of Torah, that you're not only admitting God's kindness is great, that he took us out of slavery to freedom, that he's taking care of all of our things, but we're dedicating all of our things inside the house are dedicated to him. So when you walk past that mezuzah with your 9,000-inch flat-screen plasma HD TV, the mezuzah is reminding you, hey, be careful what channels you get or what you watch. When you walk past that mezuzah with your alcohol, remember its responsibility and how much and how accessible it is to the younger people in your home. When you walk by that mezuzah with your guests, what are you going to talk about? Are you going to gossip about others? Are you going to build them up? Are you, going to, are you going to be constructive and creative? When you walk past that mezuzah, is everything that's walking past it kosher? Food kosher, images kosher, magazines and books that are coming in kosher. Is everything kosher? And when you walk out and kiss that mezuzah and you're going to work, you say, are you taking everything from your home? All of its values and ideals, are you bringing it with you to work, to the gym, to the supermarket, to life? That mezuzah is incredible. It's incredible. And we forgot about it. We bought it, we hung it, we moved on. Says the Ramban, and Revolb is emphasizing this, that the mitzvahs are incredible reminders. Every time we walk in our house, out of our house, every time we walk into any home or office that has a mezuzah, just pause a millisecond of time, not even measurable, a negligible amount of time. Pause for a millisecond and look at that mezuzah and say, Ah, oh, I remember, you're in my life. I trust you, I lean on you, I feel your presence. I feel responsible and accountable to you. You're here, and I'm here to advance your cause. We see from this Ramban that the whole purpose of mitzvot is to promote emuna. Every mitzvah I'm doing, I'm really reinforcing and working on my knowledge. He's here, and he's involved in my life. Who is the one who's commanding me? And where is he leading us with this commandment? And to recognize the good and the elevation within every mitzvah that he's giving me. So to summarize, says Revolba. We learned an important principle in the concept of Amuna. 
The year, if you live with a sense of awe, and you see there are incredible things all around us, then it brings you to a higher, higher, higher level of amuna. And the more amuna you have, the more you cling to him, the more you feel him, the more you see him, the more you lean on him, the more you rely on him, the more you're strengthened by him, the more you appreciate him. Nitok Michaye Gashmias, to extract ourselves from a world of Gashmias. Now, I want to say that when we talk about extracting ourselves from a life of Gashmias, a physical, it doesn't mean an ascetic life. It doesn't mean that we take a vow of abstinence and celibacy and we fast and we don't talk. It doesn't mean that we don't enjoy this world, but it means we're not defined by this world. This world doesn't define us. You can have the finest things in life once you've proven that you could live without them and that they don't define you. We do this for one week a year. One, one week a year do we leave all of our things behind and say, the other 51 weeks I can enjoy them because I prove one week a year I don't need them. Sukkus, we build a little hut and we go outside and we say, hey, house and home and air conditioning and comfort and mattress and convenient table and china and silverware, I don't need you. I can enjoy, now that I don't need you, I can enjoy you. But first I have to prove I don't need you. And every sukkah, we renew that evidence to Hashem, but more importantly to ourselves, that for one week a year I go outside and I say, I don't need you. And now that I've proven I don't need you, now I can have you. Now I can enjoy you. So the Gashmis doesn't mean that we live without it. It means that we can live without it. It doesn't define us. It's not who we are. It's not our self-worth. It's not our self-esteem. It's not on our calling card. It's not our reputation. It's not our name. It's an absolute tangent or ancillary to who we are. Who am I? I'm an Eved Hashem. Who am I? I do chesed at Staka. Who am I? I learn Torah. Who am I? I live with Emuna. Who am I? I help people in my career, in my life. Oh, my things? Oh, I happen to have nice things. Hashem blessed me that I'm able to have nice things. But you want them? <laughs> you can have them. I don't need them. I don't need them. So when you fulfill mitzvahs with the mindfulness, mitzvahs with mindfulness, you got a new campaign, mindful mitzvahs. When we do mitzvahs with mindfulness, that means that we're not just flying through it, we're not just discharging it, we're not just putting a check next to it. Stalker check, shacharis checked, heard the shofar checked. What's the next holiday? Tu Bishvat. Ate the... Dry fruit, check. Purim, heard the Megillah, check. But every mitzvah I do, I'm doing with mindfulness. Oh, I'm doing a mitzvah. There's a mitzvah, that's the one commanding me. There's the mitzvah, which is the way I can connect with him. I want to feel him in this mitzvah. I close my eyes. That's what Hasidim felt, that we were losing this. We weren't connecting through the mitzvahs. So they created an introductory formula to be able to focus our minds before we do a mitzvah. And so on and so forth. They say, um, no, what do they say before? Uh, no? What's the formula? You see how chassid the What's the, what do they say before they do a mitzvah? The shem yichud kudshu b'richu Thank you. The shem yichud. So before doing a mitzvah, the shem yichud kudshu b'richu that it's for the name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu and the shechinte and the yichud and yichud Hashem and his dira betachtonim and the whole world and his whole lofty level, Kabbalistic. The node of Yehudah, Bechazik Alanda, was very against it. He wrote a whole tshuva. So this was the beginning of the Hasidic movement. And ironically, Hasidim loved the Nod of Yehuda, but the Nod of Yehuda has several truvas where he saw some of these innovative practices and he rejected them. And one of them was L'Shem Yechud because he said, why do I need a new formula? Our rabbis already established a formula to be able to focus your mind before you do a mitzvah. It's called a bracha. Before every mitzvah we do, we have a birchas ha-mitzvah. You say a bracha before you light candles, before you blow the shofar, before you hear the megillah. You say a bracha before you do the mitzvah. So I don't need a new formula. The chassidim said, yeah, but even the brachas become rote. 
We got the mitzvah was wrote, the brachas wrote, we got this new thing to focus our minds. So, Baruch Hashem, what a beautiful debate about how much. But the Tzad HaShava, what both agree is that we have to formulate, we have to focus our minds so that when we do the mitzvah, our mind's not elsewhere, and we're not just putting a check mark, but we're actually present, we're actually doing it. That is the goal of mitzvahs. In our generation, we're on the last page. In our generation, emuna has weakened, and it needs strengthening, it needs reinforcement. One of the ways to strengthen Amuna is to contemplate the chain of the generations of our righteous people. Is there any other nation that can go back and has a continuity and a chain of people of righteousness and of faith? We are only here because of the power of Torah. The whole Jewish story only continues. The Jewish impact on the world continues. The Jewish nation has a continuity because of those who live with emuna. You talk about the segments of our community whose faith has been compromised and shaken, diluted and distorted. The intermarriage rates are astronomical and the assimilation rates and the disappearance of the Jewish people. We are only holding on and hanging on because of those who live with emuna because of those who feel His presence every day, because of those who respond to the bid for connection and the check-ins, because of those doing the mitzvahs, that's why we're here. And as long as we agree that, as long as we believe that the story is worth telling, that the story is worth living, that the Jewish people have a reason to exist, then if we care about its future, this is the only way to do it. You know, Holocaust memory is important, and fighting anti-Semitism is important, and bagels and lox and cream cheese and gefilte fish, they're all lovely and they're all important. But if we want to rise to that level of that continuity and to achieve that future, be'emunaso yichya. The only way to yichya is be'emunaso, is by the, the mitzvahs, the tzivoy and the mitzvah. Ra'isi la'achrona sefer be'germanit. He says, Ravoba says, I recently found a book in German that's called Midani Teva Bederech Ladas. Lumas Doras HaKodna Shadeh HaRavachas Alamada it was a German book that says, basically, study nature that disproves religion. Right? In previous generations, they used science to try to disprove religion. And we're living in a time with a more sophisticated understanding where the more we understand science, the more, in fact, it does the opposite. If you read any of Dr. Gerald Schroeder's books, right, the, the great physicist, MIT professor, teaches Eishatur Yerushalayim, he's been here a couple of times. His brilliant, brilliant books, Genesis and the Big Bang, and he talks about evolution, and he talks about and how it is reconciled with Torah. And you see that science not only doesn't contradict Torah, but science actually reinforces emuna. You don't have to work hard to find emuna. Let's open our enayim, let's open our eyes, in order to see the emuna, And that is exactly what he says and it's how we conclude. Is that to live a life of emuna, to live a life of emuna, you don't have to go to some philosophy course at Harvard. To live a life of emuna, you don't have to read a complicated textbook on philosophy. To live a life of emuna, you just have to open your eyes. And if you open your eyes, you'll see Hashem everywhere. And when you see Hashem everywhere, then you'll have emuna. You'll feel Him everywhere. You'll want to feel Him everywhere. And you'll live your life accordingly with the notion and with the with the awareness that He is everywhere. You just have to open your eyes. The seeming coincidences and random things that happen, the way things that work out in the end, the miracles and the blessings that we have in our life on a regular basis, if we simply open our eyes and we see and feel Him everywhere, Yireh leads to 
a sense a sense of emuna. Everyone, stay warm. Amir Tashem. We'll see you next week.